but I love the Word. My wife will tell you, I'm a, I study the Word. You know, the Bible says to study to show yourself approved. You know, rightly dividing. And it takes, it takes time to really dive into the Word of the Lord. Well, anyway, tonight's going to be a little bit different sermon, but I'm continuing in this heritage and roots. So what God spoke to me, He spoke to me about continuing in our heritage and not breaking away from the roots that we come out of. And I, I do some teaching on the Hebrew roots, and that's very important. But in this specific instance, what the Lord was talking about was Pentecost and revival, being spirit-filled. And so the Lord gave me a sermon about Pentecost, but in particular, the most controversial aspect, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues. And then God gave me a sermon on revival. And, you know, revival, a lot of people use that as kind of a buzzword. And I'm not saying this sarcastically or disrespectfully. I really believe that some people that use it really don't know what revival is or they wouldn't be praying for. Um, but anyway, revival is when God shows up and cleans house. And he comes to take over. And his glory is deposited. Now, I remember some of the descriptions in the, the old revivals. They would say, you know, it was a glorious place, but it was also a dreadful place because God was there <laughs> and that's that's revival and so I talked about the glory but I mainly the Lord used that to teach on the more controversial aspect of revival and that's the manifestations of the Holy Spirit which that's the stumbling block to many but and I believe God does that on purpose because he gives his grace to the humble but he opposes the proud and so he allows that the Holy Spirit will release these manifestations that will seemingly stir that up either you're going to humble yourself and go after God or you're going to get lifted up with pride and get critical and anyway so I'm kind of continuing in this but tonight I'm going to deal more with tithes and offerings this is actually a very important sermon for revival and I almost never preach on finances but I felt the Lord lead me to do it tonight and it's important so let's go ahead and open with prayer so Lord we thank you so much for your word we bless you we thank you so much, Lord, for the whole counsel of God and that we need to be willing to preach everything in the word and hold nothing back. And so, Lord, we love you tonight and we love your word. And we ask you that you would anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken under a mighty anointing and in the glory of the Lord and that your Holy Spirit would move upon all that are going to be hearing this very powerfully and help every one of us to be good fertile soil for the word. We need that, that the Holy Spirit move upon our hearts and minds and our eyes and ears to have eyes and ears of the spirit that we can see and we can hear what the holy spirit is revealing to us and lord that you would speak through me your words like living seeds of truth sown into good soil watered by the holy spirit take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes and let the word of the lord go out like a hammer that's going to break down strongholds in a light that penetrates and let this be an awesome awesome powerful time in you and everything will be accomplished in and through this that your will to be done. Let everything be said. Let there be a flow tonight of the anointing. And we believe, you know, Jesus said, the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we submit this unto you, and we bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word in any way. We command you to back off and go right now. But, Lord, let the winds of your spirit carry it where it needs to go, and it will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We stand on that promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so before I get into specifically the tithes and offerings and things like that, because it's connected to revival, so you're going to see I'm coming at this in a little bit different angle. But before we get into that, I want to read this scripture. And this is just something God laid on my heart, so follow along in the notes and really give me your best ear tonight, okay? Deuteronomy 30, 19, you have to understand that God set some things in motion, and when God, just like the law of gravity, if you go outside and you throw something up in the air, it's going to come down. Unless you throw that thing all the way through the atmosphere into outer space, okay? But if you throw something in the air, it's going to come back down. So there's this law of gravity. In the same way, God has laws. And I want to read this to you because I believe this is something that's set in motion. And we, regardless of of whether you like this you love this you hate this it's still a principle and this is what the Lord said I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death blessings and the curse or you could read that blessings and curses and then he says so choose life in order that you may live you and your children and the Hebrew word for children is not just children, but grandchildren. It's descendants. Because, see, the choices we make will affect our children and our grandchildren. Either positive or negative. And so there's a principle here. God, if you want to read Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, you're going to get an idea of curses and blessings. And not to belabor this too long, but... God has set this in motion like a principle. Those that will obey him, obey his word, will begin to move into blessings that are set in motion. But as you obey the Lord, you come into a blood covenant with him and you begin to obey him, you live a blessed life. And Derek Prince kind of broke down the, the category of blessings because if you read Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, there's a lot of descriptive paragraphs. Derek Prince just has a just brilliant mind, and he broke it down into seven categories. And they were this. If you really obey the Lord fully, you're not going to live a hypocritical life. You're not going to play games. You love the Lord with all your heart. You're really going to obey him. You'll move into exaltation and promotion, health, long life, reproductiveness, and fruitfulness reproductiveness and fruitfulness in every area of life so let me say these again exaltation and promotion health long life reproductiveness reproductiveness is having children but it's also being fruitful in every area of life financial prosperity favor with god and man and victory over every enemy those are the seven categories that Derek broken broke it down into and i believe that he's exactly right but there's nine curses. I don't have them memorized and they're not in front of me. But when people choose to live a life of disobedience to God's word, then they choose a life of bringing curses on them, on their children and their grandchildren. And there's nine curses. Again, I don't have them memorized, but there are things like this. Humiliation, failure in life, being defeated, being oppressed, chronic health problems, financial lack and poverty, divided relationships in life, 
etc. There's actually about mental illness mentioned in there, things like that. But there's, there's nine categories of curses that come. And it's because of disobedience. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. See, the problem boils down to how much do we really love the Lord. Some people just want to not go to hell, but they really don't love the Lord. See, there, there's a difference. If you really love the Lord with all your heart, then you'll obey him. So God has laid before us life and death, blessings and curses. And the path we choose is going to determine how our lives are going to turn out and how the lives of our children and grandchildren, etc., will be affected by those choices, either directly or indirectly. I can't tell you how many people my wife and I pray with to help them break free from generational curses because of things that their, their ancestry did. When you get into things, when you get into sin, you have to understand it has consequences and it's very, it can be very severe. And so when I pondered this and I was thinking about God's great wisdom in setting this in motion, just like the law of gravity, God used Moses to release this in motion it's something that's been set in motion that there's blessings for obedience there's curses for disobedience it's a law it's set in motion and when i pondered this i thought about it because the bible says the way of the transgressor that translates rebel the way of the rebellious is difficult and i got to thinking about it god in his incredible grace and mercy has made it to where the life of sin is a difficult one. Think about what I'm saying. In hopes that people will be brought to their knees and will cry out for him and look for him. I believe that's God's wisdom and his love for humanity that he's made the road of sin a difficult one so that people will choose life and choose him but anyway i felt that that goes along with this heritage and roots and understanding all of this because it's a serious thing and i know when my wife came to know the lord she really had to conquer a lot of things that were in her past in her ancestry and and so have, have i and so have many of you there's things that you have to overcome but if you don't deal with stuff you're going to leave these battles for your kids and I want to deal with it in my generation. All right. And then also there's a scripture that came to me talking about heritage and roots in Jeremiah 6 verse 16. The Lord said this through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, stand by the ways or like the crossroads there is what that's translated. Stand by the crossroads and see. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in that. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Did y'all see that scripture? Again, God lays before us life and death, blessing and curses. He lays before us a path. It's a good path. It's the path of the righteous. If think about this for a moment. Let's think about the path. Jesus said that there's a narrow path that leads to eternal life. And few find that path. The Bible talks about the path of the righteous. There's some kind of a spiritual road that leads to the Lord. 
But it's a road of humbling yourself and, and falling in love with God. And because you love him, you obey his word and you live for him. And because of that, it's a blessed path. But there's also a broad path that many people find that's full of all kinds of curses and pitfalls and, and satanic attack and warfare and oppression of the enemy because it's a path of sin and disobedience to the word of God. And it's a path of destruction. And see, Jeremiah was speaking to Israel in a time when the nation was very rebellious against God. They had gotten in every type of sin imaginable. And Jeremiah was the last prophet before they went into exile with Nebuchadnezzar. And Jer Jeremiah was crying out to this rebellious, stubborn people, telling him, look, if you'll just simply return to the ancient path that Abraham walked, if you'll find the path of the righteous and repent, you can be blessed. God will be merciful. But he said, you come to that crossroads in you your stubborn rebellion, you refuse to do it God's way. So therefore, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. And he's going to annihilate this city. He's going to destroy this temple. And you're going to go into bondage and exile. It's a path of death and curses that you chose in your rebellion. So going back to heritage and roots, before I move into the financial aspect, I just felt, see, there was a time when people, I remember the Pentecostal revival uh, movements that, that God had preachers that really would preach it straight, man. They told people the truth. And there was a conviction in it. And I remember altar calls and people repenting and coming down and getting things right with God. But in many places now, that's done away with. There's even places, many places, that this focus too much on grace. And it makes people feel that they can live however they want and still go to heaven. It's not how it works. All right, so now kind of transitioning some into the financial aspect. This is something that's really been a blessing to my wife and I, what I'm going to talk about tonight. Is I have found that when people love the Lord with all their heart, and it's real, that every area of their life, is going to be transformed you know they love they're faithful to church because they love God they, they faithfully pray because they love God they they're faithful to be a witness because they love the Lord and also they're faithful in their giving but it's not just one thing they give of their time and they give of their resources but it all goes back to a people that love the Lord and I think as I go through this, you're going to see where I'm coming from. But I want you to see how, how financial giving is connected to revival. That's the point of this message tonight. I felt very strongly to share that first part for some reason. But this is, I'm transitioning now into the financial. In Malachi 3.10, the Bible says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. How many of you guys have been faithful with your tithes? My wife and I have. How many of you guys have never regretted that? I don't regret it. But you know why? Because you can't outgive God and God's blessed us so much because we're tithers. How many would agree with me? You're tithers and you've seen it. How many wave at me? How many of you guys are tithers and you can say before God, you're not just waving your hand just because I'm saying something. You can say, I, since I've been a tither, God has blessed me financially. How many would say that? And this is what the Bible says, test me now in this says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven 
and pour you out a blessing until it overflows or it can translate there's not room enough to contain and I can tell you with confidence that that's exactly what happens when you're faithful now you can't just throw some money at God and then live in sin and expect to be blessed I think we pretty much covered that in the first part of this sermon but if you're going to be obedient and live for God in every area man if you're a tither God will rebuke the devourer for you he will. He will rebuke the devourer. The enemy wants to come in. He wants to cause all kinds of devouring of your finances, but the Lord will push him off your money. And he'll bless your 90%. And hopefully all of us, because we don't just tithe, we give above that. So does many here. But God will bless the remaining that you have so much, it will go further and accomplish more than it is even naturally possible to do. And I've had people tell me that multiple times. And they've said, they've, I've heard this so many times. They said, I don't know how, but God has so blessed my finances to where we just have money left over every month that I don't even know how we have it. It's the blessing of the Lord that does that. So the Lord said, I will open the windows of heaven. I will pour out more blessing than there's room enough to contain. Now I'm going to kind of transition because mainly my focus here is about revival. In Acts chapter 10, I want you to see a man named Cornelius. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. And look at this. I want you to really take note of this scripture. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So he was giving alms is to the poor. And so he was giving. He had a heart for the poor. So Cornelius was a man he, the Bible says he was a devout man, so he was a man who feared God and lived a righteous life. I'm concerned in this generation. I just had a conversation with a, a minister, and he would agree with me, but I told him that in the generation we're living, I do not see anymore, and I, I've been really looking for this. I don't see the level of the fear of God among many people that call themselves Christians. I'm not saying all of them are. But there's a lack of the fear of God and a lack of the holiness of God in their midst. And I'm very concerned about that. They, they don't fear God and they, they're not living it. What I mean by that is a holy life out of the fear of God. Um, I just don't see it like I used to. But Cornelius was a devout man who feared God. So he lived a righteous life. And look at this. He gave to the poor. And he prayed to God continually. So he was a man of prayer. So those are the three things I want you to see about Cornelius. He lived right. He was a giver. And he, um, he was a prayer warrior. Now look at how God rewarded Cornelius. It was about the ninth hour. And those that know anything about, remember the whole um, morning and evening sacrifice, all of that, okay? Just keep in mind about these, there's something about these timings of God here, okay? So around the time of the ninth hour, um, he clearly saw a vision of an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on the angel and being much alarmed, as any of us would be, right? <laughs> he says, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Listen to what the angel said. 
your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now, how many wants that the angel of the Lord would think about that for a minute? That's something that's dear to my heart. I would want my prayer life and my giving to be a memorial offering before the Lord. And it's something that you do that's between you and God. You know, you're not parading what you give or how much you pray, but I mean, it's something that you really, your, your prayer life and your giving to the Lord has gone up as a memorial offering. Now, look at this. The angel said, now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is Peter, who's staying with um, a man named Simon by the sea. So I want you to think about this for a minute. This is so powerful. People can really get the revelation here. Why did God choose Cornelius? Don't you think there was a lot of other people? But God seemed to send an angel to Cornelius' house for a reason. And I believe that was because he feared God and lived righteous, because he was a man of prayer and a man of giving, that that memorial offering that went up, God, when God wanted to do something significant, he chose Cornelius and sent an angel to him. Now, you have to understand the backstory. What is God doing? The gospel had pretty much been contained in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, primarily among the Jewish people, for around 13 years. And God wanted now for the gospel to, the, the latter part, remember Jesus said, you'll be clothed with power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So God is now wanting to the ends of the earth to start happening. He was wanting the gospel to really get out to the Gentiles. So at this, this critical time here, when something very significant is about to happen, God chose Cornelius and his household. So Cornelius sent, and he, you know, Peter came. He sent the men, Peter came. And now Peter's there. I'm skipping a lot of this for the sake of time, but I want to get down to verse 42. Peter has come to Cornelius' house. And some of his, his friends are with him. And this is Peter speaking. When, when Peter shows up, Cornelius is there. And think about this for a minute, because you're talking about... Um, household blessings and generational blessings cornelius was living a life that brought generational blessings on his family not curses and when peter showed up cornelius and all of his household were there his children grandchildren etc they were all there and while peter was talking let me read the rest of the story he ordered, Peter says, he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one, talking about Jesus, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. And all of the circumcised believers, the Jews who came with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. 
and they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So, listen, to, so here it is. Cornelius was chosen and the blessing came on his entire family that God poured out his spirit in such an awesome way that Peter testifies here that it was just like on the day of Pentecost you read about in Acts 2 the Holy Spirit fell that powerfully in that whole family God honors the righteous and Cornelius was a man that li that loved God he lived right he was a man he was a prayer warrior he was faithful with his tithes and offerings he was faithful faithful to be a giver And God poured out his spirit in an awesome way. So revival, there's always been an element of giving connected to revival. I remember for some reason, you know, Derek Prince is coming to my mind tonight, some things he said, but one of the things that he said that really stuck with me because he went to the Brownsville revival back in the 90s. And when he was there, he talked about his experience and he said that it felt even in pensacola where he was in his hotel he said it felt like the heavens were so open over pensacola that even in his hotel room as he read the bible he said he was getting revelation from the lord deep revelation and he felt it was because of the heavens being so open then god's presence being so thick but he also said a couple other things about revival that stuck with me and one of the things he said was this he said the overwhelming majority of people in Brownsville at that church were tithers. And he said that he believed that that was connected to the revival because the Bible says that God, for tithers, that God will open the heavens. See, the open heaven isn't just about financial blessings. It's more than that. Just like you saw with Cornelius, what happened? The heavens ripped open and the Holy Spirit fell on him and his whole household. So there's something about people that are givers. And I'm going I'm to talk about the seven realms of giving here in a moment. But there's something about that when you combine. And, and I'll get to this in a moment. I may be getting ahead of myself. But when you combine the five things I've taught so much about here. Humility and prayer and fasting and giving and consecrating your life. There's a pattern that when people will really do that before God in humility and in sincerity between them and God, that it seems to be a pattern of great revival in their life and in a church. And what is the prosperity for? I believe God wants his people blessed, but the wealth transfer, the prosperity to God's people is not just for yourself, obviously, it's for the work of the Lord. And I want you to look at this. In Exodus 12, verse 36, Moses had brought the people of Israel out. They had come out by the Passover blood of the Lamb, a picture and type of salvation, through the Red Sea, a picture and type of water immersion. They had come out, and listen to what it said. The Lord had given the people favor inside of the Egyptians. So when Israel was leaving Egypt, God gave Israel so much favor that they were asking their Egyptian neighbors 
to give them um, you know material possessions for their journey and so God had given Israel such favor that the Egyptians just poured wealth into Israel and the Bible says and I'm reading it right here they plundered the Egyptians to a degree I believe God was repaying them for slavery that they had worked so many years without pay or with at least minimal pay but regardless Israel came out and the book of Psalms says that there were none feeble among them they were healthy and they came out with silver and gold they came out with prosperity <coughs> so what was the prosperity for I believe God yes he wanted them blessed but here's what happened in Exodus 25 verse 1 the Lord spoke to Moses said tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me in other words take up an offering for me from every man whose heart moves him you will raise my contribution and this is the contribution which you are to raise from them gold silver bronze blue purple scarlet material fine linen goats hair ram skin dyes red porpoise skin acacia wood oil for lighting spices for anointing or fragrant incense etc 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 what does this sound like the material for the tabernacle and God goes on to say in uh, through Moses in verse 8 let them construct a sanctuary for me that I might dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furniture just you shall construct it so God caused Israel to plunder Egypt and there was this wealth transfer but it wasn't just for them to be blessed God wanted them to be cheerful givers into the sanctuary so that Moses could be in the sons of Aaron etc could build that tabernacle for his dwelling and look at the heart of the people in Exodus 36 verse 5 and they said to Moses now they taken up the contribution the, the offering came in and those that were in charge of it said to Moses the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction which the Lord had commanded us so Moses issued a command and proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying let no one any longer perform the work of the contributions for the sanctuary thus the people were restrained so people gave so much Moses had to tell them to calm down <laughs> that's the heart of the people that they had a heart to give And I've always felt that was, I've always felt that, you know, God wants to bless people, but he needs to see in his people that he can trust them with wealth for his purposes. There was a story about a guy, it's a true story, and it's kind of goofy, but it's true. This guy made hardly any money. I mean, he made, let's just say, I don't remember how much it was, but it was very minimal. Let's say he made like $20 a week or something. <laughs> he was working at this little place and he was so faithful to give his two dollars in tithe every week you know he was just faithful and he hardly made any money I heard this straight from a, a preacher who, who was his pastor and he said though that this guy got a raise and it was like it wasn't very much at all I mean it was maybe like now he went to 30 <clears throat> excuse me 30 dollars a week believe it or not the guy couldn't handle it 
<laughs> he backslid, got out of church, quit tithing. I don't know what was going on, but, it, you know, and anyway, so he ends up making mistakes because he's not living right, and he ends up losing that increase, and he goes right back to the previous job, making the previous income, but yet he's back in church, faithfully giving his $2 a week, you know. <laughs> He just couldn't handle this. That some people out there, they cannot, God cannot really trust them. You see? Because their heart isn't really right. They're, see, a heart that's right is a heart that seeks the Lord first. Your kingdom come. And what did Jesus say? He said, if you seek first the kingdom, then all these other things will be added. But see, it's, it's a heart issue. Some people, and I remember hearing a, a a man of God talk about this and I really I agree with it. it's true some people make decisions too much on the wrong things like for example they won't necessarily hear from God but they'll geographically move from one area to another just because there's a, a job opening and an increase of pay and it, and it you know it's always good to make more money but the thing is this it was a prophetic man if I said who he was you know he, he said that the problem is many times that there's a lot of people out there that are actually out of the will of God because they're making decisions based on the wrong things instead of praying and hearing from God. And God may have you in a certain place, and that's where he wants you to be and to be faithful there. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about seven realms of giving. Um, this really changed my life when God showed me all this because by and large for many, many years, I knew to be faithful as a tither. And since I've been Christian, I've, I've really tried to be faithful in tithing. And I remember many, many years ago, when I was a baby Christian, I was learning about it. But once I understood the importance of tithing, I was faithful from that point. I knew that that was pleasing to God. And I was very consistent and faithful and still am today. My wife and I both are in our tithes and offerings. Now, there are seven realms of giving that that God shows in his word and I would encourage people this if you if God has blessed you let's say you started tithing or whatever and God's blessed you and then you started getting more pray about Lord how can I increase my giving because if you'll do that then don't be surprised whenever he increases your income even more you see what I'm saying many people have never thought about that but pray about it pray about going to new levels all right one area I'm going to give you seven. The first is don't glean the corners of your field. So God made this a law under Moses that whenever the children of Israel harvested their crops, their barley, wheat, whatever, he said, don't go all the way to the very corner of your field. He said, leave the edges for the poor. And he wanted the children of Israel to always have a heart for the poor. And so I thought about that, and I was like, you know, how can we apply that today? Because many of us are not farmers, etc. And so how do you practically apply this? And God began to show me that there's people around us that are in need. I remember specifically there was a precious lady. She's gone home to be with the Lord. But she would wait on us every week when we, as a church, went out to eat. And she became like family. And that was one area that, you know, I knew her income was really low but always trying to really give a really good tip and bless her. And I remember somebody one time in the church 
had even given like an offering to her and actually the church did multiple times but one time in particular to help her get her glasses that she needed that's how you don't glean the corners of your field in that the overflow in your life you're a blessing to other people and that's leviticus 23 22 and then the second is what's called in hebrew the bikurim this is the first fruits a lot of people have never studied this out so they don't even know what the first fruits is it's not the tithe so the first fruits was this in the nation of israel you know they were many of them were farmers and and so they would plant their fields and they had the fruit trees and they had different farm animals and periodically obviously that whenever the harvest starts coming in there would be these these initial grains that would grow up and the farmers that honored god would go out there and they would try to tie something onto that area because they knew that that was the area of the first fruits and maybe on a tree that was beginning to produce they would tie something on that tree and they also kept up with the the first and best of the increase of their herd and they would mark them because when it came time for them to go to the temple and eventually this was done at pentecost at shavuot it kind of became known as the time of first fruits because this is when they brought it but they would go and they would glean all of the first fruits so the first of the barley and the wheat the first of all the the different vegetation that came up the the fruits and the first of their herds and flocks and they would gather that as a first fruit offering and they would head toward the temple because all of the first that belonged to the sons of Aaron and they would bring it as an offering and all of Israel that honored God did this and so there would be caravans coming in and it became that Pentecost was the time they would bring it because you know there was the three pilgrim feast and and they were going to Israel anyway or to Jerusalem anyway so this was the first so I began to seek the Lord I was like okay well how do we how can we implement this and the Lord began to deal with my wife and I that at the first, I wanted to do it connected to the, the turn of the Hebrew month because I wanted to keep up with that. But others do it maybe at the turn of the month. But I encourage people, I say, why don't you think about at the beginning of the month to have like a first fruits offering above your tithe. It's not your tithe, but it's above that to offer up a first fruits offering. Many people start doing it. But there's promises in God's word. Now think about it. Obviously, Deuteronomy 26, but Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, Solomon wrote this in the book of Proverbs. He said to honor God with your first fruits, with the first of your increase. If you do that, he said your barns and your vats will overflow. So this had to do with abundance. And I noticed when my wife and I started offering up a first fruits, that God began to bring an overflow. There began to be an increase. And so the third is the tithe. Every, most people are familiar with this. 10% of what we make, the whole amount, before taxes, you know, the 10%, that belongs to the Lord. And Malachi 3, I'm not saying this in a condemning way, but Malachi 3 makes it very clear that if you withhold that, and you keep it that you're stealing it from God and that's what the Bible says and so we've always my wife and I've always been tithers and I know many of you are as well 
But again, the promise is that God will rebuke the devourer, open the heavens, and pour out more blessings than there's room enough to contain. Now, here's an interesting scripture that most people don't even know is in the Word. There's actually what is called a second tithe. And this is Deuteronomy 16, 16. And what it talked about was this. See, a lot of people... We know a lot about fasting and prayer as far as being a form of spirituality. But what a lot of people don't know in the church today is actually that there's times for feasting as well. And so at times like Passover and Pentecost and these different times, Israel, here's what happened, would set aside like a second tithe, if you will. They would set aside um, provision so that when they went to Jerusalem at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, they would be able to celebrate before the Lord. Does this make sense? So they actually set apart provision for feasting and celebrating the Lord. I thought that was really interesting when I saw that in the Word. So there's something about setting apart provision to celebrate the Lord. And among the Jewish people, what is there? There's the weekly Sabbath. Uh, there's the turn of the Hebrew month every month. There's a celebration there. And then there's the feast throughout the year. But it's a time of celebrating the Lord and his faithfulness. So that's a second tithe. Then there's what's called the Musaf. This is the special offerings. So this was at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. There would be a special offering that was taken up that would be given at those times. And we've made that available, and a lot of people have really honored that and given at this time. But I'm going to tell you something. When you give financially at these times like Passover, and this year we had the Pentecost Conference, and of course coming up in Tabernacles, there's something about that that brings a blessing on your finances. It's a powerful, you're sowing into what that's speaking of. So in other words, we're giving at Passover time, but it's a part of us um, celebrating the blood of the Lamb. And we had the Passover meal. And we're giving into, does this make sense? And at Pentecost, we had these speakers come in. We had this Holy Ghost revival. And we were sowing into what? The anointing. And same thing here at the fall feast. It's going to be a time of sowing into the glory. But there's something about this giving that opens you up to really receiving a blessing in those areas. It connects you to something. All right. Then the sixth is called Zadok. And this is just the alms. This is... Um, I always refer to this as, as what Cornelius did. It's, it's regarding the poor and it's blessing maybe Israel somehow financially. And let me say this too, that we have the means. So when you give above your tithe and you, you make it known because many, many people do and they say this is for benevolence and they give a certain amount, that's what it goes to. And so we have people that we partner with that we bless Israel and we regard the poor. And I believe it's a very powerful thing. I love sending that money out to those purposes. And that's Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. And then, of course, the seventh realm of giving is just to the Lord when needs arise. Because sometimes there's just simply needs that arise in the church. And there's people that, that will, you know, give into that to help meet that need, whatever it is. But those are the seven realms of giving. And so I was asking the Lord practically, 
when I, when I was reading and studying the word of God, I'm thinking about, okay, here you've got these, these farmers and they've got this crop and you've got a temple and, you, and all of this was there, but it's like, how can we practically apply this right now in Christ? How can we really be givers above just tithe? And the Lord began to lay on my heart, my wife and I, that we would give above our tithe and we designated that to blessing the poor and also blessing Israel. And we also offer up a first fruits. We did this at the turn of the Hebrew month. We always give a first fruits offering into the church. And at the times of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, we join with others and we give a special offering at that time. And so as we started doing that, I noticed that God began to really increase us. He began to bless our finances. And it's been very powerful. And I believe not just from the story of Cornelius, but when I started studying the word of God, I noticed a pattern. When God's people were backslidden and they weren't doing good spiritually, the temple would start getting dilapidated. Did y'all hear what I said? When God's people were backslidden through Israel's history, the temple was dilapidated. But whenever God's people were in times of revival, and we're on fire for God and loving God and living right, the temple was beautified. Why? Because it reflected in their giving. So there's always been a connection with revival and giving. And I just want to encourage people to think about this because what you give above your tithe, for example, to the poor and to bless Israel, if you'll start doing that, please do that through the church because I love to um, be able to funnel that through the church because I believe it brings a blessing on the church. Many people already do that. But we really give to the poor. We send out um, pretty much every week, we send out where we're blessing the poor and we have uh, some really credible people we partner with and also blessing Israel, etc. And if you want to do that, you can put that above your tithe and it comes into the church, but it's counted and then it's sent back out. Let me give you a few scriptures, and then I'm going to close this. But Acts 20, verse 35. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the poor and remember the words of Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know if anybody ever noticed this before, but did you know there's nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that that is recorded? So it's interesting, you get the words of Jesus in the book of Acts being quoted here. But Jesus taught us, it is more blessed to give than receive. And then Luke 6, 38, Jesus says this, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. In other words, if you'll give generously, you'll receive generously. And this was the words of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 41, verse 1, I love this scripture. In regards to the poor, remember Cornelius, his heart to give to the poor. It says here, how blessed is he who considers the poor. Listen to these promises. The Lord will deliver you in day of trouble. How many of you guys want deliverance when you're in trouble? The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. He will be called the blessed upon the earth. I don't know about you, but I want to be among the people that are known as the blessed of the Lord. 
And I love this scripture. It says, and the Lord will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. Now that's a major promise. Because this isn't just talking about demonic forces. There, unfortunately, especially if you're in the ministry, there's people out there that, that hate you and want your downfall. But God promises here, you will not be given over to the desire of your enemies. In verse 3 says, the Lord will sustain him upon a sickbed. In his illness, the Lord will restore him to health. In other words, God's going to heal you. I mean, what promises? If you will regard the poor, the Lord promises you he'll be with you and deliver you out of trouble. He's going to protect you. He, you're going to be the blessed in the earth. You're not going to be given over to the desire of your enemies, and the Lord's going to heal you. Those are some major promises. And so with that said, you know, I was showing all this to my wife years ago. When, I, when God started teaching me all this, I started showing her. I was like, we need to start increasing our giving. And I want to go above our tithe. And I want to, to put in there, this is going to go toward the poor and go toward the nation of Israel, and et cetera, et cetera. And we started doing that. I'm going to tell you something. It, it brought God's blessing. It really did. And then 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5 the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and he said, I thought it necessary to urge you, brethren, that they would go on ahead of you to arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. This is an offering. So that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do so as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad and gave to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, seed to the sower is your giving. The Lord will give you seed to give it, it's it's finances that you're able to sow that's what it's talking about here he will give seed to the sower and bread of food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to god so in other words if you'll be what paul is saying here is if you'll be a cheerful generous giver God's going to bless you bountifully so that you lack no good thing. And let me just tell you this. Some people, I'm going to make this as simplified as I know how. What does it actually look like to live a blessed life under God's blessing as opposed to a cursed life where you're wrestling negative things? What does it actually look like? How is this practical? Well, when somebody will really surrender everything to God and quit being rebellious and quit being stubborn and they'll really repent for real and they'll obey the Lord and they'll start living a life of obedience to God's word and that includes their faithfulness and tithes and offerings. Here's what a blessed life looks like. Whatever comes up in life, eventually somehow it's going to work out for you. Did y'all hear what I just said? It's going to work out one way or another. Sometimes my wife and I don't know how it's going to work out, but it ends up working out. And God makes a way, but it will work out. Now, the curse life of disobedience is where it, even if it should work out, it don't. 
things don't work out. And I started also thinking about this as I was, I was pondering all this. Sowing into good soil. And let me, let me close out by mentioning that and then the, the five things I mentioned earlier. But sowing into good soil, you know, there's different things out there. And sometimes there, there's certainly nothing wrong with taking up offerings. In fact, it's very biblical. Paul took up an offering right here in 2 Corinthians 9. There's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes, and we all know what I'm talking about, um, there's people that, that get very manipulative and it gets kind of weird. Um, I, I don't sow into stuff like that. Okay, I'm just telling you. Think about the soil. And I've really wanted River of Life, for example. This is, where, this is where God has me. But I really want River of Life to be good soil. That people sow into it. And how many of you guys, since you've been coming and you've been giving you, your tithes and offerings, you've been faithful, can say that God has blessed you financially? Be honest, you really can say that, okay? Because I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor Scott, man, God has been blessing me so much financially. And they, there was tears in their eyes. But it's, I believe part of it is because people are sowing into a good, a good soil here. What is good soil? Well, there's integrity, but also the glory. You know, things, th it's, a, it's sowing into God's presence and God's kingdom purposes. You know what River of Life is about? It's about the right things, man. We're, we're, we're wanting to see people saved. We're wanting to see God come down. We want to see Book of Acts Christianity. So sowing into good soil is important. But also those five things that I have mentioned a lot. This has been on my heart so strong the last couple of years. And I've said this a lot. But if you look at Isaiah 58 and Joel 2 and 2 Chronicles 7, 14, kind of put it all together, you see the pattern for revival. I believe this on my heart. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we all know. Humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. We all know that scripture. But when you look at Joel 2... It was called a solemn assembly. It had to do with fasting. And you look at Isaiah 58, you see that there's all of that, but there's also this giving aspect. So I started putting it all together, and I saw this. If we individually and corporately, if we will humble ourselves. Number two, if we will be a people of prayer. So I was, I was just talking to Patrick earlier. I love Larry Lee's ministry so much, and I love the Dr. Cho. Some of my favorite people, because, and also Derek Prince too. I love these guys because they were such people of prayer. Anyway, if you're a person of prayer, every revival in history goes back to somebody prayed. Number three, fasting. Fasting, Isaiah 58, Joel 2. Fasting is extremely powerful. It breaks the power of hell. It destroys the devil's kingdom. It, it does something to weaken uh, the hold of the enemy and to purge and help people come into a place of freedom and victory. Fasting is powerful. And then it's a way of humbling yourself too. Let me say this about fasting. David Hogan said, if I can humble my soul in prayer and humble my body in fasting, there's nothing God promised me that he won't do. Isn't that something? Think about that. And then number four, giving being faithful with the tithes and the offerings like Cornelius, being a giver. And then number five, deeply consecrating our lives, really repenting of things. And that and God showed me this because I believe River of Life, and I know that the intercessors and people 
that that are discerning people among us can feel it in your spirit you feel it you know that we're at a kairos time you know that something really is transitioning there there's something that we're about to come into and i believe the prophecies over this ministry are about to happen i believe god's going to open things up there's going to be a major breakthrough in this but god started speaking to me a few years back about those five things and that's what i started calling the church to twice a year corporately i said guys let's really humble ourselves let's really pray and fast let's give a special offering to the lord and let's really consecrate our lives really repent of things and people started doing that and i started seeing even because we would have during those twice twice a year at the end of the fast we would have a deep consecration service and we're going to do that again here in the fall where we would come together and really take communion in a special way a real deep way my wife and i would anoint everybody with oil and pray over them and then those that wanted to voluntarily could come out and be water immersed and i'm going to tell you testimonies i saw people in the waters of baptismal with my own eyes i saw people that got delivered of things that had tormented them i saw people get physically healed and people had testimonies these times of prayer and fasting and giving and consecrating your life it's going to free you up from some things that's been coming against you it's going to help you go deeper in christ it's a powerful thing and i really felt the lord tell me that we need to keep this pattern going because it's a pattern of perpetual revival you know, david wilkerson said you know isaiah 58 he said is the chapter of how you live a life of perpetual revival isaiah 58 and that has to do with prayer fasting and giving and humbling yourself basically what i'm talking about so know that in a couple about a month from now or so a couple weeks we're going to start another little church-wide fast so pray about what god wants you to fast and i want to say a thank you so much to the watchmen because those that have consistently and faithfully um, fasted and prayed on your day and we got all seven days a week covered i'm gonna tell you it has really been powerful i can feel it and it's made a huge difference in this church but we're going to come together and do kind of a corporate fast and i felt the lord wanted me to make a little bit different list than usual as a matter of fact i felt to add at the bottom of it that how many of you guys can say that there's something that's really dear to your heart that only god can do you know it would take a miracle but it's something really important to you and you have something like that many people have something in their life that they need a breakthrough or they're believing for something it's something really dear to them i felt that i wanted people to put that at the bottom of the fast sheet and i was going to believe with you also for your breakthrough specifically so i felt this fall was going to be really powerful it, it was going to be a little bit different that god's going to take us deeper in his glory and what i, I shared brother holt uh, told me he said you're about to enter into a season of restoration and rebuilding and he saw a full house he saw us really increasing numerically a breakthrough there but he also said the glory of god is going to get so thick in your church it's going to produce health 
I've had other people tell me that too. They felt the glory was going to cause major healings and miracles. And we're at a time of that, where we're about to come into that, and I believe this fall is going to be very significant for that. And so think about it, pray about, when we go from September 7th through 21, we do 14 days of fasting. What can I fast? What would the Lord financially want me to give as an offering into the fall feast? You're sowing into the anointing. You're sowing into the glory. You're sowing into revival. That's what we're believing for. What would be the special tabernacle offering that you would give to the Lord? And here's what I'm believing for. I'm believing for the Lord, and I close with this. I'm believing for, you see me putting it over, I'm putting it up. I'm closing out now, winding it down. I'm believing that God's going to look down on River of Life individually and corporately. And just like Cornelius, that our prayers and our fasting and our giving have gone up before him as a memorial offering. And I'm believing for God to rend the heavens and pour out his spirit in River of Life like we've never known, like Cornelius experienced in his whole family. And I'm believing that the prophecies over this ministry of, of revival and the harvest coming in are going to break forth. And it's going to be awesome. That's what I'm believing for. And so that's this fall what we're sowing into, we're going to really believe for. All right. So remember, giving and revival are connected. So Lord, we thank you so much for, for this uh, time in the word. We thank you for this information. Help us, Lord, to apply it. Not, you know, like James said, we don't want to be just hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. And Lord, we thank you for it, and we bless you in Jesus' name. You can shut down recordings, but let me just say this, if y'all could look this way. Just pray about this, because if you, if you give above your tithe, 